All right, so we started a new series called Steps of Love. Step in the name of love. We don't, we don't sing any of his songs anymore, though. We're done. He got canceled. Um, not by me, but whatever. We're, we're, we're just going to skip. All right, so a couple of years ago, I was invited to a worship service. And I had already started studying the Bible. I already was studying the scriptures. I've already taken some interest in Christianity. And the guy who was helping me was a college graduate, a, a, a grad school graduate from the University of Florida. He was my campus minister. He would become my campus minister um, later. He invited me. He said, hey, bro, I really want you to come to service. And instantly the anxiety set in because I didn't have any church clothing. You guys know what church clothing is? I didn't have any of that, right? And so I was like, oh, gosh, I got, uh, like, what, what do I do? So I told him, I'm like, I don't have any church clothing. And it was a Friday night, and I told him, I'm like, honestly, I don't even want to do laundry. I'm like, I do that Sunday. I don't want to do it in the morning. Like, no. I'm like, maybe I come next week. And he said, no, come as you are. So I said, all right, I'll show up. So the following Sunday morning, on that Friday, that Sunday morning, I, I drove my Toyota and I had the loudest, most vulgar hip hop music blasting because that's who I was. So I was blasting it and all these church people were like, okay, who's this guy? And I'm just blasting the music. I come out in my slides, my, my, my sandals and basketball shorts. I walk in, I grab my Bible and it wasn't even my Bible, it was my, uh, my mother's Bible, a Gideon King James Bible. <laughs> She probably took it from a hotel confessing her sin. <laughs> and I grabbed the Bible and I'm walking in and I realize I'm like, man, I'm really underdressed, like massively underdressed. But one of the things that stood out to me in that community, in that fellowship, was it seemed like everyone still accepted me. It felt like everyone's still welcoming. I had a shirt that talked about selling drugs. Now, again, this, this is a college student. I'm a sophomore in college, and I didn't do laundry yet. So I just wore what I would have wore the morning I woke up to do anything else. And so the guy's like, why do you have a shirt that talks about selling drugs? I'm like, honestly, it was either this or a shirt that had an explicit, and I went with this. <laughs> and I was like, honestly, the fact that you know about this a little bit tells me a little bit about your background as well. <laughs> Because it was not like out of there, but it just, if you knew that, if you know that lifestyle, then you would have known what the shirt was about. But I was welcome. I remember walking away from the fellowship and then I went back uh, to see a friend and I was like, oh, what did you do this morning? I went to church. You're like, like that? They let you go over there like that? I want to go over there like that. I'm like, yeah, dude, God don't care. He sees us naked. I didn't know if that was true or not, but I said it. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, now I know it's true, unfortunately. <laughs> but then I didn't know that. So what is the title of our sermon? Come as you are. Amen. Come as you are. You know, for a long time, the reason um, Christianity has been a real challenge in varying spots is because it always felt like you had to become the perfect person to be prepared to worship God. And yet that is not what we see in the scriptures. Jesus meets us where we are and then transforms us. And this is how we do this in the steps of love. Let's go to Luke chapter five. You know, in this scene right here, we're going to see a, a dinner or, or, or table fellowship, a table gathering situation here. And it's really telling in this story what, what we learn about how Jesus views people. 
and prayerfully how we can imitate his heart in viewing people as well. Luke chapter five, beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to the sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You know, one of the one, one of the things that's really important that we understand and that we, we wrestle with is the, the religious leaders. They had this mindset and, and it came from honestly a good spot, but it's just a misinformed spot that the broken are not welcome. You know, it, it's easy to say, man, you know, in order to be here, you kind of got to be on your A game. You kind of can't be in embarrassment. And so the religious leaders are like, who is Jesus? And a little, I want to talk a little bit about the practice of what we're witnessing right here. You know, in the early church and around that time in what they call Second Temple period, which is about two, two, three hundred BC till about two hundred AD, Second Temple period, the table. When you invited someone to the table, it, it signified a lot. It signified we were equal. It signified we welcome you. It signified that we are on the same page. We have like a bond close to family. You see, the Pharisees, when they ate with people, religious leaders in particular, when they ate with people to sit at the table, meant you went above and beyond to be ritually clean. Because if you weren't clean, it was going to impact your worship when it was time to worship. And so they wanted to make sure people were clean. In the Greco-Roman society, this was an opportunity to show who you're equal. You know, like inviting an important guest to your dinner. That is like clout inducing still to this day. Like if I invited, I don't know who we think is important. Is Justin Bieber still cool? If I invited him, like, you know, inviting Justin Bieber, if he's still cool, like, like, wow, you know, Justin, not only that, I sing with him as well. You know, and so Jesus being invited to this situation with tax collectors said a lot about him to the religious leaders. They're like, no way this is God's Messiah. If he's God's Messiah, he's with the wrong crowd. He should be eating with us, which he will eventually two chapters later. He shouldn't be eating with these guys. And that's kind of the challenge that they had with him. And in Greco-Roman society, if he is a king, if he is someone important, why are you with the riffraff? Why isn't Pilate here? Why isn't someone more important than these regular Jews, these tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus practice right here is so scandalizing if we were in the first century and we came across this this would have been a drop the bible moment what (laughs) who you sure this is the guy we're supposed to be following for us today he has so normalized come as you are that principle it doesn't scandalize us but you know if this was read in the first century i would have lost half of you guys you would have got up like i'm not gonna follow this guy he is doing things the wrong way And so Jesus scandalized the Pharisees because he's obviously not a holy man. If he was a holy man, he wouldn't be eating with them. Jesus would scandalize the Roman leadership because you're you're not someone of clout. Why are you eating with nobodies? But at this table, something unique happens. Jesus embraces everyone at this table. You see, 
Levi abandoned everything to follow Jesus, the passage says. Now, then he turns around and throws a great banquet. So you're like, obviously, he didn't get rid of all his money if he could still throw a party. But what he did in this unique situation when he abandoned everything, he repurposed the meaning of everything he had because of his encounter with Jesus. He repurposed everything. He's like, Jesus, you're so awesome. I want to follow you. Come meet my friends. Which I, I, I can imagine when the 11 or the 12 got the invite, they're like, where are we going? Levi's house. Levi? That's like, yeah, we're going to hang out with those guys. You're like, wow, this is interesting. You see, Levi also put his reputation on the line. He's hanging out with the, the guy who, who was baptized by John the Baptist, the revivalist preacher out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. He's like, you're hanging out with those guys. You know they hate us, right? You know, they don't think we're worthy to be in partnership with them. Right. You're inviting him. It must have been one of the most awkward situations initially. But I have I have to believe that Jesus knows how to break the ice. <laughs> that he was in there and something awesome happened. And they were just like, wow, we're at ease now in his presence. You see, what's really telling is what the religious leaders say here. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The labeling. These guys were labeled by the religious leaders. You see, to be labeled a sinner meant you were living outside the faithfulness of God. It doesn't really matter what sin you were involved in, but that you're living outside the faithfulness of God. And Jesus's rebuttal is so important if we're going to understand how to be people who accept people as they are. Jesus didn't see them as sinful. He saw them as sick. He changed the metaphor. He's like, you guys are sitting. No, you guys are sick. He's like, if someone is sick, are you mad at them? Prayerfully not. You know, prayerfully, you have enough compassion in your heart that you're not mad at someone for being sick. Jesus looked at them as people who needed help. He didn't look at them as people who needed to be judged in that moment. You see, the religious leaders were on the outside like, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out with these folks? He's like, they need help. They need help. They need the encouragement. You see, from a theological perspective, the religious leaders, what they were doing and how they were operating was faithful to what they understood. In Deuteronomy, it talks about if the people of Israel do not live faithfully to their covenant, that they would be exiled if they participated in behavior that um, basically denied that they knew who the living God was, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so right now in this scene in the scriptures, they are what what feels like exile because a Jewish leader is not leading their nation. And so for the Pharisees, they're looking like. This is exactly what the problem is. It's people like you not telling people like these guys they need to change. You see, they don't have a problem with Jesus eating with. They don't have a problem with Jesus teaching these guys. They have a problem with Jesus eating with these guys. And why is that a problem? Because to eat with someone means I accept you where you are. And Jesus' acceptance is radical because it comes with transformation. I think we have trained ourselves sometimes as followers of Jesus to kind of put people through a gym before they could get into the gym. You know, I have a membership at Planet Fitness. It's a fired up gym. It's pretty inexpensive. I do the same four machines every day, man. I wonder if I should just buy that and save money. Uh, But can you imagine if Planet Fitness says, Steve, first, you got to get in shape. You got to eat right. You got to get it together. Now you can walk into our gym to get in shape, to eat right and get it together. That logic is like, what? 
You see, what was happening here, the religious leaders were like, they have to be kind of like us first before we can even sit down with them to help them be like us first. And sometimes we can behave that way. We could forget that. We could say, man, I need you to have your life together before we can accept fellowship with you. Before we can be in presence with one another. You see, the Pharisees, like I mentioned before, didn't have a problem with Jesus teaching and telling them, hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to live like this. They, he knew that this crowd probably even heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most radical teachings in all of Scripture. But for Jesus to take fellowship with them meant that he accepted them. And that something felt off about that. Maybe for some of you right now, that feels off. You want to say, but, you know, God does expect them to change eventually. And if they don't change, they're going to go to hell. If your heart is going there, you are in the presence, prayerfully, of good company, with the Pharisees. And prayerfully, you can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying and say, no, first I will accept them. And then I will call them to the standard of Christ. I will lovingly lead them to the standard of Christ, which is so challenging, guys. It's easy to be judgmental. It's baked into our culture. You know, John Barclay, he, he wrote this incredible book, and it's, it's about grace, and it's a historical book about grace. And here's what he says about grace in the first century. Because gifts come from social connection in which discrimination is necessary, it is normally emphasized in antiquity that gifts should be given generously but selectively. Care should be taken that the gift, gift being a synonym for grace, is given to suitable, worthy, or appropriate recipients. So who do you give grace to in the first century? You give it to someone who could kind of pay you back. Like, like if we would have saw LeBron James at 18 years old, he was 6'9", about like 220. He could jump out the roof. If you're going to take on someone as a Patreon, as a client, LeBron is an easy bet. You can put your money on LeBron and you know you're going to get a good return. Now, let's take someone who's not as athletic, right? We could pick anyone in the room. We'll pick me. If someone is like, hey, Steve, we're going to put our money in you. We're going to invest in your training and all this other stuff. So you could go to the NBA and win four NBA championships. Anyone who's in control of the money will look and be like, that's not a good investment right there. That's not who you want to give the money to. Give it to the guy who looks like LeBron. Don't give it to the guy who looked like Steve at 18 years old. Jesus coming in these guys' presence and offering himself as grace, as a gift to them. Everyone like, this is scandalizing. These guys may not change. These guys may not even be impacted by what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus offers it. Jesus says it's not the sick who need a doctor. It's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Jesus is offering healing to these guys. What is healing in, in the first century and in, 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 in today's time? radical radical embrace to be involved to be able to be accepted as you are you see in ezekiel 34 they talked about bad shepherds who led the people away from god jesus is the good shepherd who offers restoration of relationship to god and to people like can you imagine the tax collectors in their given week how separated they were from people i i haven't yet to watch um the the, the tv series about jesus chosen but a number of people watch it. They love it. Every, every other week, someone is approaching me, you need to watch Chosen. They're, they're evangelists for Chosen, which is good. But everyone talks about Jesus' acceptance and how he treats the tax collectors in that, that visual image. Like, wow, look how Jesus treats them. This is healing when people can pull you in and you can be accepted for who you are. That's what the gospel offers us. That's what it means when King Jesus is king of your life, that we start to become a people who radically accept all people. 
We can't be people who are trained and shaped by social media and the news outlets. You know, some of us are disciples of CNN, disciples of Fox, disciples of whatever else popular thing is out there. Some of us are shaped by influencers on social media and we want to be like the people we see on TikTok. Shout out to everyone over 40 who has a TikTok. (laughs) You see, and some of us are shaped by misplaced theology. Some of us really think that you serve the flipping table Jesus. That's the only Jesus you know. The one who gets upset about every single thing instead of the Jesus displayed through all of the Gospels. The one who is the very image of the invisible God. So were the Pharisees right that they were sinners? Yes, but it isn't how it wasn't how Jesus saw them, though. They were right, but it wasn't how Jesus saw this crew. Um, Cornelius Plantinga wrote this cool book called the, It Shouldn't Be This Way. It's all, it's all about the fall and how sin has corrupted the world. And he shares this quote that I thought was really profound. He says, sin is whatever contributes to life being less than what God intends. Like when your life is less than what God intends, that's what sin is. You see, under this definition, sin is sickness. It's a problem. It's a failure to live by the ethical rules that promote life. It's like a stain, a weight, and in some ways a debt. It is brokenness and messiness. Sin is a death dealer and a life stealer. You see, when we start viewing sin as living a life less than what God intended, that definition frees us to see why God would hate sin and not hate people. Not because God is an angry rule maker, but because God loves us without constraints. And he wants what's best for his people and the people he made in his image. God wants each of us to have the abundant life shaped by his son. God wants us to have peace, shalom. God wants us to flourish. He wants us to recognize the divine imprint in other people and to support their flourishing. Any force that resists this abundant life, that's called sin. That is a force which God stands and opposes. You see, Jesus' guest list is filled with people who, on one level, prove the, the Pharisees right consistently. Everyone in here, I'm willing to wager, you all sinned this last week. If you're like, I ain't sinned this last week because I was in a coma, then amen. <laughs> you, you're sleeping the whole time. You couldn't do it. And, and God's favor is with you because he woke you up. Um, but the rest of us who were awake, at some point you fell short, whether it's sin of commission or sin of omission, you fell short of the glory of God. And yet, his grace is consistently extended to you. You see, the problem with Jesus in this moment to the religious leaders, he looked like he's on the quote-unquote wrong side of history. You are on the side of the Romans because you're sitting with these tax collectors. Here's God's Messiah sitting down and eating with the enemies. You see, but Jesus, when he sits with people, he doesn't see enemies. He sees fellow image bearers. You see, mills operate as boundary markers. They mark the different levels of intimacy and acceptance. To sit down with people even today, like how many of you have strangers into your home? To sit, to be invited to someone's house is like a miracle in 2020. Two. It's like a miracle. It's like, you know, you get invited to other disciples' house, but how many of you live across the street from different people and you're like, I don't even, I don't know what the inside of your house even looks like. You've known them for a whole decade. There was a neighbor adjacent to me um, in my apartment complex in Miami, 
And we lived next to each other for three years. On year three, I finally walked through the doors. I'm like, so this is what it looks like in here, man. And he was like, yeah, dude. And I was like, all right, it looks exactly like my place. And then I walked out. (laughs) But it just three years just to feel comfortable to have someone else in their home. Now, part of it, I was always on the road. He's like, you're never home. And I'm like, I am not. I just pay rent to sleep, man. I don't pay rent to live in that house. Uh, But you see, Israel, Jesus radically redefines purity in this situation. And how, here's how he radically defines it. Because they were worried about these, that Jesus sitting with these guys would make him unclean. Jesus radically defines it in this situation that purity is to look at people with mercy. That's what's pure. That's what's right. To sit down with people and say, I'm looking at you with mercy. You are now in the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus is being asked by the religious leaders to be a doctor who avoids the sick. How many of us would criticize a doctor like that? We walk into the hospital, I'm sick, and they run. <laughs> You're like, nurse? Nurse runs too. You're like, all right. That's the kind of party we're having. Jesus is being, being told to do that. He's like, no, I've come that they could be healed. Jesus calls sinners, not the righteous. And here's the irony. Even those religious leaders were the sinners. The moment you think, oh, yeah, but I'm righteous, so he's not. You, you slow down enough and realize you sinned this last week. Unless you're in a coma. And so Jesus's redefinition of purity is mercy needs to be our redefinition as well. And then we can start saying to people, come as you are. Come as you are. However you come in. I have the Holy Spirit and God is calling me to love you and come as you are. We want to have embrace over exclusion. We want to be people who practice embrace over exclusion. You see, calls for embrace and hospitality and solidarity, those things are challenging in churches because of psychological dynamics working in our hearts. You know, when we call someone to embrace, it's like swimming upstream. Because we naturally want to embrace people who are exactly like us. We don't want to embrace people not like us. You know, as followers of Jesus, we lean into embrace and inclusion whenever possible. As long, and, and so long as we're faithful to Jesus. You know, Portland is one of the most interesting cities we can live in. It's a beautiful city. There's a lot of food options here. There's more dogs than one can count. Anytime you walk near a car, there's a dog in there. You're like, no one's in the car, then the dog pops up and look at you. It's a unique city. But it's also a polarizing city. You see it. Like, the American flag here doesn't mean what the American flag means in other places. The American flag here usually carries a connotation that I am conservative and I hold conservative principles. There are a lot of trans flags in Portland. That usually means I am a person who holds progressive values. You see, a lot of times as followers of Jesus, we can be walking by like, well, I tend to be more conservative. So this guy who's coming out of the house with the American flag, that's who I'm going to fellowship with. That's who I'm going to pull it. Or you're like, man, I'm more progressive. I'm more open-minded. You know, I love people. I want to call them to the standard of Jesus. So you walk by the house with the trans flag, you're like, I want to reach out to this particular person. That's not how it should be in the way of Jesus. You reach out to whoever the Lord puts in front of your path. You open up the door. So even if you disagree on every level, maybe you hate all the Trump's policies or you hate all of Joe Biden's policies or you hate all of everything on CNN or you just hate everything. (laughs) We radically include you into our lives. 
And it takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes taking that first step. Um, Wade and Corinne are going to share about something really cool that they did recently. Hello, everybody. So for those who don't know us, my name is Wade. This is my wife, Corinne. We're the Gallons. And uh, we're happy to be here and just share a little bit. Um, We uh, just moved to a new house, for those who don't know. And so we're in a new neighborhood, new people, new people to meet. Um, But we weren't really seeing many people when we would walk around. You know, we have a dog, so we would take him on walks and stuff and just didn't really see anybody. So Corinne came up with a fantastic idea to host a little get together with our neighbors. And what Corinne did was print out um, little basically sheets saying, hey, come over this time. We're going to have, we called it a happy hour or something like that. (laughs) And so we, we put these on people's doors and we decided to invite people over. And it ended up being a really great turnout. We had a lot of people, got to meet a lot of people in our neighborhood, which was great. Um, people were saying things like, man, that nobody's ever done this for like the however many years they'd been there. And there's people who had been there a very long time at that point. Um, so that was really encouraging. And uh, we decided to kind of do that. And Corinne's going to share a little bit more about, you know, um, the heart behind it and what we learned from it. And, yeah, great. Um, yeah, it was fun. It, I, I think that the biggest challenge was just finding a, a night where we were free and wanted to spend our free night doing that. That So that was kind of a sacrifice on our part. Um, I'm so glad we did it. I think in the couple of weeks leading up to thinking about it and making it happen, I like all the gears were turning in my head of like, just anxieties, fears, excitement, like what, should I put this much effort in? Should I put not this much, you know, like there were so many things that I was thinking about. Um, and I just want to share a quick scripture um, that I, I feel like was helpful um, at that time. Mm, do I love the Bible app? Yeah, but I don't want to fill out a survey right now. They really um, get you with that. <laughs> um, So this is Philippians 2, verse 13, and it's actually the New Living Translation. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Mm -hmm. I think scriptures like these these really help me to take that pressure off myself of like, I have to do it just right. I have to have this many cups and this much whatever. Um, And I've got to talk to everybody. Shout out to Ignatius. We invite, he's not our direct neighbor, but he's in our neighborhood. We had him come over too, which was such a blessing. We figured like worst case scenario, we just hung out with Ignatius that night. And that would be, that would be a great night. Not a bad night, but he ended up being such a blessing. I like, I noticed him talking to everybody there and you know, he wasn't even in the neighborhood. I think even that had an impact. Um, and, uh, about six households came and it was really fun. Um, I, I definitely recommend it. I, like, but think, if you think about it in the terms of like, you're just opening up an opportunity. It's not, you don't have to like be the best, the hostess with the mostest. Um, that you just have to have the space and create the opportunity. And I think people are looking for that. People are looking for something to do and ways to connect. And um, also I'm nosy, they're probably nosy. So we figured like, if anything, it would get them to come over just to figure out like, who is this person next door with their barking dog and their screaming children. Um, so anyways, that's cool. all. Um, thank you guys. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Uh, 
I'm not nosy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a business. I got to get out of myself in that way. That's definitely not a temptation. You, your whole milk could fall on the floor. I walk in my house. I was like, maybe they, they're going to cry about it. Um, so one of the things is we want to create space. This is really important. What Wade and Corinthian created space for community to be formed. Those, those different people who showed up there, who knows what's going to come of it, but now they actually know who the other people are in their community, creating space. And that's what it means to come as you are. Like, imagine if they hosted that night and someone had too much to drink. That might happen. That might happen. You know, the more you people come as they are, the more they're gonna come as they are. Yeah. I'm not gonna say, cause I couldn't get his, he, never, he didn't take me back, but there was a guy I studied the Bible with. His first Bible talk, he was high and drunk. Wasted. And he was like, oh, I was like, you, you want to come to a Bible discussion? He's like, dude, you can't see I'm high. I'm like, yeah, you can come. Then he showed up. <laughs> and he talked about nothing the whole time. But I'm like, do you want to study the Bible? He's like, of course. And then we studied the same day, him high. It was like, I just looked at one scripture because I knew he wasn't really paying attention. But now that's our brother in Christ. <laughs> The reason I didn't share his name is because I didn't get permission. So I, just in case you see him, you're like your first impression was he was high and drunk. That was my first impression. But now he's our brother in Christ. And he just started dating too, which is fired up. He's about to be married. I and mean, then he could tell his kids, like, man, my first Bible talk, I was high and drunk. But, you know, how many of us in, in situations like that at a Bible talk, like, oh, you're not sober. Let me not invite you. You're not looking the way you need to. Let me not engage you. Again, we can have a, a neighbor in our community. Like I, I mentioned last week, let's destroy assumptions. We can have a neighbor in our community who's like, I hate God on their forehead, tatted. And you're like, well, I'm not going to reach out to this dude because they hate God. Or you say, hey, man, we're doing something at our house. We're going to drink. I'm a Christian. And like, yeah, I would love to come. I love to talk to Christians and do it. You never know what's going on in people's hearts. Yeah. And you shouldn't judge people on tattoos that they probably got a decade ago that doesn't mean anything to them anymore. And they're trying to figure out how to get rid of it. And they're like, it's just so expensive to get rid of. So be mindful. But Christians, let's not be scandalized by the company we keep. You know, sometimes I think we're concerned about what each other thinks. They're like, well, what if I hang out with all the riffraff, all the people who are just like Steve? What's going on? Are you okay? You should. I, I want to create. I think all of us should create space for someone to ask, "How are we doing?" But once we say we're doing well, we're trying to honor Jesus. Let's celebrate that. Amen. Let no one feel guilty because they're trying to honor Jesus, even if they keep the most questionable company. We're in the company of Christ when we do stuff like that. Yeah. You know, we're products of grace. In Galatians chapter one, um, thirteen through sixteen. When Paul's talking about his conversion, he's like, he was zealous for the law. He persecuted the church. He did all these other things. But God, but God came in and saved him by grace. It wasn't the zealousness for the law. It wasn't the persecution of the church. It wasn't all these other things. It was God's grace that transformed Paul. And Paul became the most inclusive person you can imagine. Again, his background, Paul is a Pharisee. And we just read about what the Pharisees thought about eating with people who were unclean. How much more so what they thought about Gentiles. And Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. Grace radically transformed him. Let us be people who are radically transformed by the power and the grace of the living Jesus. 
and start opening spaces where we could sit and invite people over. That's our practical. So a week ago, we talked about praying for people. Now, this week, if you don't have any friends who may want to come over, invite another follower of Jesus over your house. You can't invite me because my wife is due any moment now. <laughs> and she's not even here. And I have my phone on live just in case she calls because then I end this sermon this very second. She's like, hey, I'm, I'm delivering. I'm like, all right, bye. I love you guys. Radical embrace. <laughs> uh, but after that baby comes, then you can invite me over. You can even take the baby probably. <laughs> Or at least take Steve. <laughs> now, I love both of my children, even though I haven't seen the other one yet. Um, but, you know, the, what I'm calling us to as a fellowship is to be missional, to be a people who practice incarnation. Incarnation is being like Jesus for other people. Being like the Jesus you get to serve. Incarnation means learning how to be somewhere physically with kindness, humility and faithfulness and self-control. For the sake of the renewal of all things. To be in the presence of certain situations. Now some of you, alcohol might be a challenge. And to be in that presence, you know you might dishonor God. And dishonor your covenant. Then don't go to that situation. But some of you, you're like, if for me, you could put me in a room filled with the best beer in all of Maine. I'm not touching a lick of it. Because I don't drink beer. I don't have that taste for beer. Now you put me in a room with... Again, I always pick on my Gators. You put me in a room filled with Gator fans, I'm going to have a lot of temptation. I'm like, they're going to start to clap in. It's just like, Argh. maybe I don't go in that room. Someone else goes in that room. We put the Mayelis in there and they're like, we found home, man. Embrace over exclusion. <laughs> Embrace over exclusion. Shout out to the Gators. Um, I, 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 before the old campus minister left, I'm like, I got to preach in Gainesville one time just so I could overcome my sin, man. <laughs> I want to share with my fellow gators and we'll clap together. But it never worked out. But Jesus practiced hospitality. And that's the goal this week. So if you can't invite a friend over, invite another disciple. You still should be in the habit of inviting people over. And be able to sit down and listen. You don't have to be great at anything. Just practice the art of listening. Listen to the person speaking. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as they speak. And I believe wholeheartedly at some point the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say that will bring him honor in this situation. But right now, I just want us to pray for people and I want us to practice inviting people into our lives, regardless of their background or what we may agree or disagree about. We're going to pray for communion. Lord, we come before you asking, first and foremost, that you would forgive us, Father. Forgive us in the ways we sinned against you and um, what we did, what we said, how we thought about things, Father. And thank you for healing us, Father. Lord, we thank you that you have given us Jesus. You have, he has given his body for us, the bread. He has given his blood for us, the cup. And that we are people who get to sit in his presence and be welcome as we are, Father. None of us in here are finished product. You who began a good work in us will finish it unto completion. Lord, I thank you that all of us have a spot at your table. I thank you that this table is wide enough that anyone from any background, any faith alike can come in and be encouraged, Father. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for giving your son for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.